All right, let's go right to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to continue the series, Piercing the Darkness, and today I'm going to speak on Wanted, a church with a changed mind. A church with a changed mind. Let's go right to the passage there, Judy, and uh, let's read these powerful verses out of 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Uh, this is part five of this series, and I'm going to go as long as the Lord tells me to. How many of you really know that we need to have churches that are making a difference? If ever, now's the time. All right, let's read. Now, Paul writes something about the Old Testament people who went through the wilderness, delivered from Egypt, eventually got into the Promised Land. Here's what he says about their wilderness journey. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now look what he says. These things happened to them, the children of Israel, as examples to us, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Lord, thank you for your word today, and I pray that your word changes us, rearranges us, delivers us, heals us, encourages us. We receive with meekness the engrafted word today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can you breathe a prayer and say, speak to me, Lord? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better perk up and listen. You're going to need this. Now, because of time, I'm not going to go... Uh, over what we've covered in the last few weeks, but I would encourage you to get the CDs. They have been selling out. They have been moving all of them and then getting orders for more. God is talking to us about a church that makes a difference. There are two kinds of churches in this country right now, I assure you. One kind is the church caving into the culture, losing their saltiness. Their lampstand is being removed by the Lord, though a lot of them don't even know it. And their influence for Christ is gone. Second kind of church is the church that is piercing the darkness. With what? With the Word of God, with the message of Jesus Christ. Piercing the darkness with love, with uh, honesty, with integrity, with the gospel message unwatered down, undiluted, unpolluted, but staying with the Word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be one that pierces the darkness or I will go do something else. God has called us to be a church that pierces the darkness. And what I saw this week is there's hundreds and even thousands of churches of the same mindset to pierce the darkness and make a difference. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is holding up for us the children of Israel as an example of what we should not do. We're encouraged to study what they went through in the wilderness for our own good and for our own example, God allowed to happen to them what happened for our learning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We are right now at the end of time as we have known it and at the precipice of the return of Jesus Christ. I hope you're aware of that. Now when we look at them, we see that we're not to go where they went. We're not to think like they thought. We're not to fall like they fell. When we look at them, we see that their problem all throughout the Old Testament, and hear me carefully, this is what it's all about today, their problem was their thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
Their problem was their thinking, how they thought, how they viewed their circumstances, how they viewed God, how they processed their experiences as they walked with Him. The children of Israel passed through three stages in their walk with God. When we look at the Word of God, we say, okay, Paul, I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to learn from them. So as we look at the Word of God, here's what we see. They went through three stages in their walk with God. The first one was Egypt. The second one, the wilderness. And the third one, the promised land. Egypt, wilderness, promised land. Those were the three stages they passed through. And if you'll notice, in each of the three stages, they had to learn some important lessons before God allowed them to step into the next level that He had for them. Now, I believe the church ought to be going from faith to faith, glory to glory, new level to new level, always progressing, always moving on. And every time they had to go to a new level, Church, they had to change the way they were thinking. They had to change their thoughts, the way they viewed things, the way they viewed God, the way they viewed themselves. Now let me give you a few examples of the lessons that they went through. In Egypt, they learned that God was mighty to deliver. In the wilderness, they learned that He was mighty to provide. And in the promised land, they learned that God was mighty to conquer. So they learned he is my deliverer. He's my provider. He's my conqueror. In Egypt, they learned to pray, get us out of here. In the wilderness, they learned to trust, living on that manna day by day. In the promised land, they learned to occupy. Every stage brought a different lesson. In Egypt, there was an anointing on a man, Moses. In the wilderness, there was an anointing on a place, the tabernacle. In the promised land, there was an anointing on them, the people. In Egypt, they had a promise of deliverance. In the wilderness, they had a problem with trust. And until they learned to trust, they could not go into the promised land. In the promised land, they had a place of fulfillment. In Egypt, they requested their freedom. In the wilderness, they were tested for faith. In the promised land, they rested on God's answer. Now, all of this was a type and a shadow, a symbol, a picture, a foretelling of New Testament realities. Now, let me give you an example here. Let's look at Egypt for a minute. In the Bible... When you read about Egypt, when we see the children of Israel enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, Egypt is a picture of the world and of our spiritually lost condition in that world. Think about it in the Egypt. In Egypt, the Hebrew people were in bitter bondage under a cruel taskmaster, Pharaoh. They did what he did, went where he allowed them to go, served the way he commanded them to serve. They were kept in bondage, they were kept in chains. Likewise, the New Testament parallel, we were in Egypt, that is, in bondage to sin. And our taskmaster was not Pharaoh, but Satan. When God delivered his people, they crossed the Red Sea. The Red Sea was a picture of the utter impossibility of true deliverance without supernatural intervention. Remember, uh, they looked at the sea, and here comes Pharaoh's army behind them. And Moses said, what are we going to do? 
And God said to Moses, hold out the stick. Now think about this. The children of Israel cried for deliverance. And what did God send them? A man that couldn't talk good with a stick. A man that couldn't talk good, stuttered, and had a stick. But God said, hold out that stick. And he did the impossible. That sea parted. And when they crossed over the Red Sea, with God holding the waters back on either side, don't you know you stayed right with God at that moment? Water up here, water here. Don't you know there was no hidden sin in your life? It was like, yes, 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 hallelujah, glory to God. And you kept on walking. But with the sea on either side of them, that was a picture of the day when Jesus alone would lead us across the impossible barrier of sin between us and God. Moses took them where they could never have gone. Jesus took us where we could never have gone. Moses led them through the sea to freedom. Jesus led us through his blood to freedom. The pathway of their deliverance, the Red Sea, became the very thing that destroyed their enemy when the waters came crashing in on Pharaoh and his armies. And listen to this, likewise, the pathway of our deliverance, the blood of Jesus Christ, is the very thing that destroyed our enemy, the devil. Now think with me again. Every time God led his people to a new level, Egypt, the wilderness, the promised land, the new levels, the changes, the transformations, the transitions. He required of them a change in the way they thought, a change in their thinking. As a man thinks, as a man thinks, as a man thinks, that is what he is. They had to change their mind about some things. Now, let me show you what I mean by this. In Egypt, they had a slave mentality. Ever the victim. Always the victim. They had to change that thinking to the belief that God had something better or they would never have left. In Egypt, they thought like slaves. We answer to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's our provider. Pharaoh takes care of us. Pharaoh tells us how to live. Pharaoh tells us how to die. We do the bidding of Pharaoh. That was all they'd ever known for 400 years. And then Moses came along and said, no, no, no. I've got a vision for you. Now I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So slave mentality in Egypt. In the wilderness, they had a self-centered mentality. It was all about them. If they had a motto, it was this. It's all about me and what I want. Wilderness mentality, all about me and what I want. In the promised land, they had a conqueror's mentality. I can do all things through my God. Where are you today? You got a slave mentality? Or do you have a it's all about me mentality? Or do you have a conqueror's mentality? Are you slave minded, self centered minded, or conquering minded? The church that pierces the darkness is going to be the last one. You know that's where I'm going. God wants us to be promised land thinkers. He wants us to know that our God can do all things, and I'm getting ahead of myself. So, whoa, Jeff. Now watch this. In Egypt, they were passive, always the victim. In the wilderness, they were preoccupied, always self-absorbed. But in the promised land, they were possessors, constantly conquering. In Egypt, they were absorbed in their circumstances. In the wilderness, they were absorbed in themselves. In the promised land, they were absorbed in God. 
In Egypt, they anguished in slavery. In the wilderness, they languished in unbelief. But in the promised land, they vanquished their enemies. In Egypt, they wanted out. In the wilderness, they wanted more. In the promised land, they wanted God. In Egypt, they focused on what they didn't have. In the wilderness, they focused on what they couldn't have. But in the promised land, they focused on what God wanted them to have. Is anybody hearing me today? You're in one of these three. In Egypt, they were in pain. In the wilderness, they constantly complained. In the promised land, they proclaimed the glory of God. My point is this, in each and every phase they went through, each and every time they moved to a new level, God changed their thinking. And until their thinking changed, they never stepped up, they never stepped in, they never moved on. They sat, soaked, and soured until their thinking changed. They had to change their minds about how they viewed themselves. Who am I? About how they viewed God. Who is He? about their circumstances what is this all about and about their divine destiny do I have a purpose or not no wonder the Bible says this listen carefully don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think I've got to read that again this is out of the message Bible hear me church it says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you let God trans. Anybody in here want to be transformed? You can do better than that. Do you want to be transformed? Do you realize? Do you realize that you can't move forward until your mind is being renewed? That you're going to sit, soak, and sour right where you are until your mind is renewed. So let me read it again. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. This world is not my teacher. This world is not what I'm to conform to. But I am to shape the world. The world is not to shape me. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, what is good and pleasing and perfect. You will not move on in the will of God until your mind is renewed and He changes the way you think, the way you view yourself, the way you view God, the way you view your destiny, the way you view your purpose, the way you see your circumstances. Your mind's got to be changed. Now let me deal with the first hurdle, slavery thinking. Slavery thinking was characterized by three things. And here they were. Visionless, I see nothing for myself. Hopeless, I have nothing to look forward to. Helpless, there's nothing I can do to change things. Know anybody like that? Are you like that? You're saved, but do you think that way? Here they are, visionless, I don't see a thing for myself. Hopeless, there's nothing for me to look forward to. Helpless, there's not a thing I can do to change things. That's slavery thinking. And do you know that unfortunately slavery thinking is still a part of many Christians thinking? I see nothing for myself. I've got nothing to look forward to. And there's not a thing I can do to change things. I'm stuck. Caught in a trap. Can't get out. Don't know where to go don't know what to do don't see anything when I wake up in the morning I don't say amen I say oh me usually people with slavery thinking I've noticed this because they're in the church people with slavery thinking don't spend much time in the Word of God they, they're not in a church that preaches the Word of God 
And they're still ignorant of God's plan for their lives. Because listen, you can't be a child of God and stay in slavery thinking. Oh, no, no, no. You can't be a child of God and wake up for very long and say, I see nothing for myself. I've got nothing to look forward to. And there's nothing I can do to change things. You can't be in the Word of God and be a child of God and think that way. Because our God has a purpose for you. You are custom designed to make a difference. There is a gift in you and there is a hope in you. And Jeremiah said, God speaking through him, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future, to give you a future, to give you a future and a hope. Now what we see with Israel is as they anguished in Egypt is they really did not know who they were and they did not know what was out there for them in God. See, the word of the Lord, one message, one sentence out of God's mouth can change the way you think. They'd been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. It was all they had known. All I know is the drumbeat of Pharaoh. All I know is chains. All I know is doing what I don't want to do because I'm under Pharaoh. This is all I've known. So what does God do? He sends his word to you. And some of you, you're in slavery thinking. You wake up and you say, this is all I've ever known. I'm hooked on this, hooked on that. I'm under bondage. I'm under slavery. I answer to Pharaoh. And I've got news for you. That is not the will of God. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And God doesn't want you walking in slavery thinking. See, you don't know what you don't have till somebody comes along and tells you there's more. You don't know what you don't have till somebody comes with good news and says, life is more than this. So God sent Moses, and here's what he said to him. He said, tell my people, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they heard that and they said, there's more. This isn't all there is. And I want to say to somebody listening by radio right now, you're driving in your car, you're sitting in rush hour traffic, or you're in your home, and you're believing a lie that this is all there is, that you're born under a bad sign, that there's no future for you, no hope for you, and I want you to know Jesus Christ came to set you free. There is more. He gave them a vision to show them that they were not visionless, hopeless, and helpless. And he does the same thing for us today. The words of Jesus. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. There's more. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going uh, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may be where I am also. There is more. There is more. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it in sheer abundance. There's more. We're not born to slavery. We're born to life. We're not here just to do what the devil tells us to do. 
We're here to walk in obedience to God under the freedom that Jesus Christ brings and you will know the truth and it will make you free and he whom the Son frees is free indeed. Come out of Egypt. Those of you that have been delivered from Egypt, but Egypt is not out of you yet, you need to hear this today. God came to set you free. So Jesus says to everybody enslaved to sin, there is more to life than this. There's more. And then there's wilderness thinking. Wilderness thinking is it's all about me thinking. It revolved around what they wanted, when they wanted it, and how they wanted it. It was all about them. They were, in essence, what we would call today spoiled brats. They were totally focused on their need. Sound like anybody you know? Totally focused on their needs. Their needs were their God. Not God. They served their needs. Not God. It was all about their needs being met. Not God's. It was selfish and self-centered and self-consumed and self-absorbed thinking in the wilderness. And that's what killed them. Wilderness thinking is marked by a complaining, murmuring, critical attitude that defeats the person that's harboring it. See, when you're a grumbler and a complainer and a moaner and a groaner and always telling God how everything is wrong in your life and complaining to other people and they know all about you and see you coming and now they run and hide because they don't want to hear it, do you know that when you're a complainer you've got a shovel in your mouth and you're digging your own grave? Paul said, do not grumble. He didn't say pray about it. Boy, it's quiet in here today. We need to hear this, don't we? He said, don't grumble. Why? Because God is your provider. Don't grumble as some, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the angel of death. Woo! They were destroyed by the angel of death by grumbling. If this were true in the church today, there wouldn't be much of a church left. We'd have all been vaporized, the preacher included. But he says, they were written down, these things were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Listen to the, to the Message Bible. These are all warning markers, danger in our history books. Written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in their story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. So they complained about not having enough water. They complained about not having enough food. They complained about not having the right kind of food. They complained about God's timing. They complained about this and complained about that. For 40 years, they went round and round and round with God over provision issues. Never able to transition into promised land thinking. And you know what that did? Giants didn't keep them from the land. The Jordan River didn't keep them from the land. But wilderness thinking is what kept them from the land. God doesn't this. He doesn't that. I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of that. I wish this. I wish that. Instead of just lifting up and saying, Lord, I just thank you. If nothing else, I'm saved. If nothing else, I'm washed in the blood. I just want to praise you, Lord, that though I don't see it yet, I know it's on the way. I'm not going to go down with grumbling. Have you ever noticed when you go on a grumble fit that the more you talk, the more the anointing of God just seems to dissipate? 
No, no, no. God inhabits the thanksgiving and the praise of his people. You enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. You can throw a pity party, but I'll tell you who won't come. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because God wants us to get a hold of our tongue and turn it and say, don't be a grumbler, don't be a wilderness thinker, don't have a wilderness mentality. It's not all about you. It's not all about your needs. It's not all about what you want. It says God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Well, there you got slavery thinking. I'm under bondage. There's no hope, no future, no way out. Then there's wilderness thinking. It's all about me. I survive on earth for God to meet my needs. Then there's promised land thinking. The church that pierces the darkness will not have a slavery mentality. Ever the victim. Nor will it have a wilderness mentality. Ever the complainer. No church is going to pierce the darkness that has slavery thinking or wilderness thinking. It won't happen. But the church that pierces the darkness has a promised land mentality. Ever the victor, not ever the victim, ever the victor. Not always victimized, but always walking in the victory of Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully, this will change your life. Promised Land Thinking says, it's not about me, it's about Him. It's not about me, it's about Him. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, it wasn't so he could serve me. It was so that I could serve him. What did Paul say when he was knocked to the ground and the light shone around him? He said, what do you want me to do, Lord Jesus? Promised land thinkers believe that God is with them, on them, and working through them. Do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe that he's on you? Do you believe that he's working through you? Do you believe that his anointing is on you to make a difference in this world? Can I tell you, you're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. You are set on a hill to shine into a dark world. You are not a question mark. You are an answer. You are an exclamation point. God is on you. He's with you. He's working through you. Promised land thinkers believe that God has a plan for them. We're not here by evolutionary mishap or mistake. Our ancient descendant was not a single-celled organism that crawled out of a ancient primordial soup and became Bach and Beethoven? No. Our ancestor Adam and our ancestors Eve created in the glory of God. They glowed in the dark. They were created to walk with God. Brilliant, beautiful, powerful creatures that God created to fellowship with Him. Promised land thinkers that believe that God is greater than any obstacle will overcome any mountain and will make a way even when there isn't one. Promised land thinkers look at a mountain and say, well, it's there now, but my God will bring that mountain down. My God will bring this valley up. My God is going to make a road where there is not a road. He's going to bring in the heavy machinery and He's going to get me through no matter what. I believe in the power of my God. Promised land thinkers don't stand there and stare at the mountains and say, why did God let that mountain be here? 
If only God had moved that mountain. Everything's against me. My God never works for me. Where is prayer? Where is everything I've heard was promised? No, no, no. Promised land thinkers look and they say, in the name of Jesus, get out of my way. I'm either going over you, around you, under you, or through you, but I'm coming through. Promised land thinkers are not intimidated by the enemy. They're motivated by God. They are not intimidated by the enemy. They are motivated by God. The motto of promised land thinkers is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Promised land thinkers don't back down. They push through. They learn to take action. They take authority. They take the land. And they pierce the darkness. They say to this culture, my Lord Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead. Repent and turn to Him. And I'm not afraid of the names you're going to call me. I am a promised land child of God. You're no longer a slave to sin and bondage. You no longer believe life is all about you and what you want. You're a child of God, focused on His will, seeking His face, pursuing His purpose, defeating His enemies, and proclaiming His glory to the world. And that's what I felt out there this week. 500,000 people saying, we're taking the land. Can you stand up with me today? Are you a slavery thinker? Change your mind. Are you a wilderness thinker? Change your mind. How many of you want to be promised land? Thinkers. All right, listen carefully. The thinking precedes the reality. Once your mind is renewed, you start walking in that reality, but you won't walk in the reality till your mind is renewed. So as you go today, think, well, have I got some slavery thinking in me? Hopeless? Helpless? Can't do anything about my situation? Just born to sit here and suffer till Jesus comes? Are you a wilderness thinker? Boo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Boo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Boo-hoo. Boo-hoo-hoo. We hear you coming. Mm, your violin is making a crease in your shoulder. A permanent mark because you're always boo-hoo-hoo. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But promised land thinkers, no. I am so sick of going around this same mountain. I am so tired of wasting away in this wilderness. I am so ready to put on Jesus and take the land and win and have his purposes as my goal and make a mark for God before I go home. That's the kind of church we want. Amen? Amen? Lord, right now, we just thank you for your presence here today. 
Lord, deliver us from slavery thinking and from wilderness thinking. Renew our minds. Deliver us, Lord. And we will honor you and glorify you. Help us not to constantly focus on ourselves. And if you've been plagued with some hopeless, helpless thinking, or some it's all about me thinking and boo-hoo-hoo, nobody's looking, every head is bowed. I want you to raise your hand and say, Lord, help me to come out into promised land thinking. Promised land thinking. Say with me, Lord, renew my mind in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Give him a hand of praise today. Can you thank you, Lord God? Go ahead.